Okay, it's a great privilege for me to bring the word this morning. And um, what I'm sharing on this morning is, why do we gather? Why do we gather? Can you imagine if we had like a Zoom link to heaven? That would be kind of cool. Just kind of dial in and you like, oh, hey, Peter. How are things? How's the weather? Oh, sunshine still. Okay, wonderful. Okay. Uh, and, you know, maybe you could talk to, to some of the saints. Can I, can I talk to, you know, Elijah or Moses or, you know, the Apostle Paul? I mean, I like you too, Peter, but... Or talk to family members that have gone on before. Maybe some of the angels. Uh, Jesus. That'd be pretty cool, eh? That would give us access to stuff that we are unaware of. Now, the, the scriptures do show us some things about heaven, but really it's quite limited, there's a lot that we don't know about eternity and about heaven. And uh, so that would be really neat. However, imagine if that's what eternity looked like, a Zoom link to heaven. That'd be pretty depressing. Because you're not there. You're not experiencing it. You're just seeing it. That's, that's not eternity, right? Imagine... Um, for you who are married, recall when you started dating your spouse. So at first, the FaceTime calls, the, the texting, the whatever, back in my days, in the olden days, we did emails. I didn't have a smartphone back then, and it was emailing back and forth, some phone calls. My wife was traveling around the world. Anyway, most of our relationship was actually long distance until we got married. She lived in Alberta, I lived out here. And... Um, it's really exciting at the beginning to like, you know, you're interacting with someone that you're interested in and there's interest back. So you send them, you know, a smiley face, heart. <laughs> and then you check every 10 seconds. Did they, did, they get, or did they respond? And like three minutes later, you're like, oh no, they didn't respond yet. It's, it, oh, oh, was I, did I go too far? Oh. <laughs> it's, this is, it's over, it's over. Right? The emotions, oh, it's terrible. And it's, it's, it's exciting at the beginning, but as time goes on, you know, that kind of gets old. You actually want to be with the person eventually. And if, if relationships just stayed at a distance through texting and you got married through texting, that'd be pretty lame. You want to be together. Presence matters. You have to actually be together to consummate the marriage. It's critical that you're there in the presence of one another. How many of you prefer to watch concerts on YouTube versus going to them? Some might because of volume or depending on who the band is. But you want to be there. It's an experience. There's something about being there that's just so much different than just watching it, right? All right. So I'm going to talk about the gathering of the church. And as these illustrations show us, presence matters. Presence really matters. And God felt presence matters. Presence matters. John 1.14. So beginning of John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. He goes on to talk more about the Word. And then in verse 14, we encounter the verse that says, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He came 
to be with us. God isn't just some deistic God that set things into motion and stood back and was like, all right, let's see what happens. He is a transcendent God. He is above all things, but he's also an imminent God. He's right here with us. And he sent his son to be with us to accomplish the plan of salvation. In Exodus chapter 33, we read about Moses interacting with God on Mount Sinai. And uh, God is pretty upset with the Israelites. And he says, I don't think I'm going to go with you because I might actually kill you all along the way. <laughs> and Moses is like, well, well God, but you're, if your presence isn't going to go with us, then don't send us out from here. What else will distinguish us from all the other nations? It's God's presence with us that actually distinguishes us. From others, His presence with us, of course, transforming us, but his presence with us. And so God says, all right, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. His presence matters. Emmanuel, we sing that at Christmas a lot. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. We read that right at the beginning of the book of Matthew and right at the end of the book of Matthew. The last verse says, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Presence matters to God. Can you imagine if his presence was not with us? That would be depressing. If your presence isn't with us, don't send us out from here. Presence matters. We also read, I forget where, the, where it's found, but in your presence is fullness of joy. In your presence is fullness of joy. Why does it matter? Why does presence matter? Because we were made for something greater than ourselves. And this goes back right to the very beginning. The, the things that we were created for that are greater than ourselves, we, we can't accomplish them on our own. Right at the beginning, the mandate that God gave to Adam and Eve was be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. It's a little bit difficult to be fruitful and multiply by yourself. You have to have someone else with you, presence together to accomplish this. Adam could not do it on his own. Eve could not do it on her own. They needed each other to fulfill the mandate that God had given them. It was absolutely critical. In fact, today, the, the mandate to the church isn't that much different. Being fruitful and multiplying. We're called to make disciples of all the nations. Being fruitful and multiplying. Filling the earth and subdue it. Subduing it. Subduing it not in a like aggressive war kind of way but in the sense of bringing the kingdom to the world. We can't do that on our own. It is impossible for us to do that on our own. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, uh, we read, it's not good for man to be alone. In creation, the days of creation, we read over and over and over again, it says, and God saw that it was good. It was good. It was good. It was good. But this one thing was not good, and this was before the fall. The one thing he called not good before the fall it is not good for man to be alone. Now, I had a conversation with God. Let's see, how many years have we been married? 17 years? I had a conversation with God about 18 years ago. I, I wanted to be married, and uh, things were not progressing the way that I had hoped. And so I had a conversation with God. I said, God, your word says it is not good for man to be alone. I'm a man. I'm alone. This is not good. 
And uh, it actually wasn't that much later that uh, the Lord brought Marla and I together. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> it's not good for man to be alone. Now, that doesn't mean we, we all need to be married. Uh, it doesn't mean that uh, we should never have times of being alone. There are times, of course, when Jesus went off to a quiet place by himself to pray and connect with the Lord. Um, but we all need community because presence matters. It is absolutely critical. In fact, solitary confinement for too long is considered torture in some places. With others, we are part of something greater. So when we gather together on a Sunday like this, it's actually not simply about hearing good music. Although, Greg and team, what a, what a blessing it is to have such skilled musicians who love the Lord and lead us into his presence. Hey? Just love it. But it's not just about, oh man, those were good songs. Oh man, did you hear Nick on you know, his lead? Jeremy, what a great drummer. <laughs> Proud mom right there. <laughs> well done, mom. Well done. <laughs> oh, that's good. You know, the sad thing is, and I'm not actually commenting on this church. I was in the third row and I wasn't looking and actually I just sensed just engagement. But the sad thing is, in many churches... Um, those who come do treat it kind of like a show. We watch the team lead in worship, don't necessarily engage in, in the praise and worship time. And it's like, oh yeah, that was nice. That was nice. And yeah, it is nice, but that's actually not the point. It's also, gathering together also isn't just about meeting an obligation. Now, we should gather together, and there are some things that we are required to do, but it's not simply about meeting an obligation. And it's actually also not just about hearing good teaching. Rob is one of the best preachers that I know. I love his preaching. And I miss it, living in Alberta. And one day I aspire to be as good as Rob. But, uh, but as good as it is, that's not, it's not just about coming to hear good teaching. It's imp- that's an important part. But it's not just about hearing good teaching. Because you can get lots of good teaching online. You can listen to good music online. There's no need to actually come together for that purpose. Might as well just stay at home. We've, we've even, uh, our private devotional lives, we've, we've made them more of a, well, private, over the years. Now, that's not to say we shouldn't have private times. Yes, again, Jesus took time with the Lord on his own. However, Bible reading, historically, was always done in a corporate gathering. For two reasons. One, most people didn't have Bibles. Secondly, most people couldn't read. So the majority of church history, the Bible reading and sharing and study and so on, was done in community. It's only relatively recently that we've really highlighted, you know, read your Bible and pray every day on your own in a private time with God. Now, that's a great privilege. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. I'm just highlighting the the corporate nature of the things that we do. But again, now we can just read at home. Hebrews 10.25. And Greg, you like preached my message right at the beginning. So probably all the verses I'm going to share are going to be verses that he already referred to. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now prior to COVID, only 50% of evangelicals attended church once a month or more. 
And the other 50% is really probably the, the ones, the type of people that this verse is addressing. Those that actually don't really care to gather together, don't see any value in it. So it's really important that we get together, but do we know why? Why do we gather together? I think all of us here, I'm kind of preaching to the choir because you've gathered, but why? Why do we gather together? It's not simply about getting together. And we can also get together for the wrong reasons. Genesis 11 is about the Tower of Babel. Oh, let's go. Let's build this tower to heaven and make a name for ourselves. Yeah, let's do that. God's like, nah, that's not a good idea. And so he goes down and he confuses their languages. It was such a significant issue that he confused their languages. And actually, Pentecost is like a partial reversal of Babel, where all of a sudden everyone could understand, and the nations were being called in to come, come to the Lord. I'll touch on that in a bit. So we can gather together for the wrong reasons. Acts 19, I find this passage hilarious. So there's a riot in Ephesus. Okay? Um, The... The gospel's being preached, and the people don't like it. And, and so there's this riot, and they're chanting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And this two-hour riot. And in verse uh, 32, it says, Some were shouting one thing, some were shouting another. Most of the people didn't even know why they were there. There's a riot! Let's go! What are we chanting? Artemis! Yay! Why are we chanting? I don't know. Yay, Artemis! We don't gather just because... There's a party happening, although that's not necessarily a bad idea, but there can be wrong reasons to gather. See, the reason that we gather is actually to reflect the unity that we're called to. When we gather in the Lord's name, it's about something greater than us, something greater than us. Yeah, there's many benefits to gathering, and actually there's many books that highlight the value of community. And I could go through a whole bunch of reasons why it's valuable for us to get together. But I actually want to get to the core, a foundational point about why we gather. And that is unity. Psalm 133. It's one of the shortest psalms here. It says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. See, we gather together both to represent the unity that God has called us to and to pursue the unity that he's called us to. And it is there that he commands his blessing. And it's not that we can't be apart. Of course, there are times where we're unable to gather or moving away to Alberta, if that happens, uh, you know, if someone's going out on missions or you're planting a church or, you know, other, other things that happen, you can't always necessarily be together. But the default is gathering together as the body of Christ. You know, we went through a difficult couple of years with COVID and there were some battles about gathering together and so on, and strong opinions, and I'm not going to get into a whole lot of that, uh, all uh, except to say that... Um, it was unfortunate in at least various circles that the call and the push towards gathering actually resulted in disunity rather than unity, which is why we gather. 
Unity is powerful. Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. Again, verse 6, it says, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. This is God declaring what could happen when wicked people gather together in unity. Now imagine if it's kingdom-focused. The power that exists in unity. It was so powerful that God confused their languages for thousands of years. I mean, we still have it today. Imagine coming together, united for the purposes of the kingdom. Unity is typically a precursor to revival. In the church, there are three focuses, really, of our ministry. There's our ministry to the Lord, there's our ministry to the body, the church, and there's our ministry to the world. Three functions of the church. I mean other things too but in those groupings and i'm going to touch on these three and how this topic of unity and the gathering together um, highlights all three of these areas but i just want to emphasize here scripture does emphasize the corporate nature of the body yes we are all individuals we are individually saved absolutely not disagreeing with that but the metaphors that the bible uses for the church are corporate metaphors so the flock the body, um, the family. It's a gathering of people, multiple people. First Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Again, together, collective. We know the story of, of the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go and find the one. And he doesn't go and find the one so that he can keep the one separate from the rest of the 99. He brings it and puts them into the fold together. Unity. Presence. All right. With that foundation, I want to focus on these three areas of ministry and how this really um, speaks to why we gather as a church. Our ministry to God is worship. I think it's in the perspectives course, Perspectives on World Christian Movement, where one of the authors says, missions exist because worship doesn't. And this is really what we're, what we're trying to do in, in missions, and otherwise, is to have the nations worshiping the Lord, our eyes focused heavenward on our Father. We're called to worship. We were created to worship. And I think our worship together, corporately, as we gather is the ultimate expression of unity. Why is it so powerful? Because it reflects the nature of God. What do you mean, Gene? Okay, let me read a passage for you. John chapter 17. I'm going to read verse 11 and 20 to 23. It says, I will remain in the world no longer. This is Jesus. He's praying. He's praying for his disciples here. He says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm, ca- and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That includes us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. 
that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prays that us, that we right here, would be one, like he's one with the Father. How is that even possible? That unity that exists in the Trinity, try unity, that's a mystery to us, because there's just one God. But there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but just one God. And he prays that we would be one as they are one. That is a profound prayer. So when we come together, gathered in unity, we are actually demonstrating the nature of our Father. That is incredible. You know, we as individuals, our identity is children of God who bear his image. Corporately, as a body, we are also his image bearer, and we're meant to represent his image, to carry his image. And when we come together in unity, we actually demonstrate that image of God, the oneness in the Trinity as we come together. Now, if that doesn't make you excited to come and gather together to actually demonstrate the very nature of the God that we worship, man, it's just, it's such a profound mystery to me how he even prayed that and how we can do that when we come together in unity. We represent our God when we're united, when we gather and worship. Now, unity, again, can exist from a distance. It's possible. But, again, presence does matter. I can be married if Marla stayed back in Alberta. But that shouldn't be the default. The default is we're together. There may be times where we're not together, but for the most part, we're together because presence matters. We don't just gather together as a bunch of individuals to worship God. We come together to display his nature. And it reveals the glory he gave his church, which we read in this passage. Ministry to believers, the area of discipleship. All right, so we know it's not good for man to be alone. God provided uh, a helpmeet for him. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord, Proverbs 18.22. It's not good to be alone because we can't actually be who we've called who we've been called to be, and we can't do what we've been called to do on our own. Again, Adam and Eve couldn't do it without each other. They needed each other. Psalm 33 uses the same word, that help meet word, in reference to the Lord. So Adam couldn't fulfill the mandate without Eve. We can't fulfill the mandate without the Lord. We have to be together, and we need the presence of one another, because the way that the Holy Spirit often works is that he gives gifts. Actually, the way he does work is he gives gifts to his church, to each one, as he determines. Just because you're not up on the stage, that doesn't mean you don't have a gift that the Holy Spirit has given you. If you are a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit in you, and he has given you gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the variety of the gifts, some of the variety of the gifts that he's given to edify one another. Let me read Ephesians chapter 4. Not the whole thing, I'll read part of it, although the whole chapter is great. So, actually, this whole book is, is quite good. 
Hebrews chapter 4, verses 11 to 16, it says, It was he, speaking of Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity. Unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by cunning, the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You are part of that each part. We gather together to be discipled and built up into unity. And we need each other to be built up. Otherwise, we're blown by every wind of teaching. We can't be and do what we've been called to be and do by ourselves. We have to have one another. You know, going back to this comment I mentioned earlier about um, the perspective that we sometimes have um, that, or I'm not, I don't know about anyone here, but that some may have, that coming to church is about just about getting good teaching. Now, in our world today, we recognize that there are some things that you just shake your head at. When biological males get awards on International Women's Day, It happened just a few days ago when a Supreme Court Justice of the U.S. can't define what a woman is and yet is being championed as the first black woman on the Supreme Court. You just, you know, I, I, I come to Romans 1 and I'm like, in their thinking they became futile. But the church isn't immune to this. We have uh, lots of false teaching that has been infiltrating the church, evangelical churches, progressive Christianity, some of the things that come along with that. People are falling left, right, and center for these doctrines that are coming, minimizing who Christ is, minimizing salvation, minimizing uh, why we need salvation. Well, why is that? Because we have probably probably more good teaching than we've ever had as, as a church. You can access so much good teaching in the books that have... I mean, you can access lots of bad teaching too, but in the, the many books that have been re- written online, all the incredible speakers. And there's probably several reasons why, even though we have so much teaching, why so many churches are falling this way. But I think one reason might be found in James 1.22 where it says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Again, making disciples isn't just about teaching everything he commanded, teaching them to obey everything he commanded. If we just come and say, man, that was a good word, that was great, and you go home and there's no application, we are susceptible to deception. We must be applying the word to our lives. Do what it says. Otherwise, when the wind and the waves come, the house, the house will crash. We've got to be establishing our house on the rock, 
on his word. It's not just about teaching. It's about becoming like Jesus. And so we have this body here that God has designed to help us in that process. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, such a great chapter. Um, I'll try to get through this quickly here. Um, But 1 Corinthians 14, it starts out with uh, Paul encouraging them to desire spiritual gifts. And he says it at the end of chapter 12 as well. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. Sometimes we're like, well, I I want the giver, not the gifts. I want the blesser, not the blessings. I want the blessings too, just saying. But he says, eagerly desire the gifts. Why? Because how do we think we can edify and build up the church better in the flesh than we can by the Spirit? We need the Holy Spirit so that we can be good at building the body up. Eagerly desire the greater gifts, especially the gift of prophecy, he says. Because that builds up the church. It builds up the church. Um, he talks a lot about tongues and prophecy. And actually the issue isn't so much about tongues and prophecy as it is about understanding versus not understanding. And he basically says, when you come together, like, if everyone's speaking in tongues, no one can understand anything, so the people aren't edified. If there's understanding, there's edification. Now, that's not to say you shouldn't speak in tongues or whatever. It's, it's great. Just in that context, he's saying, as you're gathered together, focus on excelling at the gifts that build up the body. In fact, he says that specifically in verse 12. Since you're eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in the gifts that build up the church. See, when we come together, it's not about this all-individualized worship. We're corporately worshiping here. And he seems to highlight that. There seemed to be a situation where they were all speaking in tongues and thought, this is really great. And he's like, okay, tongues is great. But in that context, no, focus on building up the body. So prophecy is better because people can understand it. And they can be built up that way. If we're just having a bunch of individual connections with the Lord, we're missing a key part of the gathering, which is to build one another up. And with the gifts that you have been given... This is exactly what Greg was preaching. I'm like, oh, he stole my thunder. Imagine Saturday night. You're like, oh, I got something to share with somebody tomorrow. Because you are called to do that. That's why you come to church. To actually build up the body. All of us. All of us. Building up the body. Maybe I've got a word for Reuben. Or maybe I don't know exactly who it's for or or what's going to happen, but I'm, I'm aware of the Spirit, and I'm aware of wanting to build up the body. And so when I walk through those doors, I'm like, okay, Lord, who is it? Who is it? Who do I build up? Maybe it's Mac. What's the word, Jonah? It's Veggie Tales. <laughs> if you have six children, you would know that. <laughs> What's the word, Lord? What's the word? We should be so excited, so eager to excel in the gifts that build up the body that when we come together, we're just like, all right, let's build one another up because we've got six days coming up where we're not going to be together and we want you to be built up so that you can carry the kingdom everywhere you go and be effective witnesses of the Lord. Nah. Okay. Moving on. Uh, Oh, and coming together, we sing to one another. Yeah, of course we sing to the Lord, but actually we're told to sing to one another in Colossians and Ephesians. Singing to one another to build one another up. At the end of chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, 
it talks about, uh, he, he writes about how if there's prophecy happening and an unbeliever comes in, he's going to recognize the presence of God. And he's going to say, God is really among you. Wouldn't it be great, and I'm not saying this doesn't happen here, but wouldn't it be great that every time we gather together, somebody's like, oh my goodness, God is among you. God is among you. And that comes through edifying one another by the gifts that he's given. All right. The last one here, ministry to the world, our outreach. In the New Testament, the pattern for reaching the world was always uh, sending them out in teams. But I want to go back to this, so not alone. I want to go back to this passage in John chapter 17. And I'm going to read verses 20 and 21, where it says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, that the world may believe that you have sent me. The unity of the church shows the world Christ. You know, we've got some great evangelism strategies. They're wonderful. But I wonder if simply being unified as a church is the most powerful one. Acts chapters 2 and 4 highlights the unity of the, of the, um, the early church. And it says daily people were being saved. Daily. And they were all united. As 1 John 13, 35, they will know you're my disciples by your love. Through our unified worship, equipping toward unity, outreach happens. Do we want to reach our neighborhood? Do we want to reach Steinbach? Do we want to reach our nation, our lost world? Let's be united. Let's, let's start there. We're called to invite people to the table. If we're not united, they won't be invited. Or if they come, they're just going to see a dysfunctional family. We must be united with our brothers and sisters. So let me throw this out there. If you have something that you know is like, I'm not united with my brother and sister, and I actually don't even mean just within this church, with any believer, make it right. We must be united. This unity is actually a foretaste of heaven. I won't uh, read the verse, but in Revelation chapter 7, it talks about every tribe, tongue, and nation coming and just worshiping the Lord. What we do here Sunday mornings is a foreshadowing of heaven. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what it will be like. It'll be better, but this is a foreshadowing of what is to come. So now what? First Corinthians 3 verse 17 says, Anyone who destroys God's temple will himself be destroyed. That verse scares me. We dare not destroy God's temple. Speaking of the church. Sowing disunity. He who destroys God's temple will himself be destroyed. Galatians 5 talks about the deeds of the flesh and the, and the fruit of the spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Before that, he talks about the deeds of the flesh, and many of them specifically relate to causing disunity. If what you're doing is causing disunity in the body, it's probably not the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians 4 verse 3 says, Make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Make every effort. 
That's hard sometimes. So our gathering together isn't simply about gathering or seeing friends, although that's nice. It is meant to be a tangible expression of unity in the spirit that exists in the body of Christ. And also, it's meant to be a means towards that unity as we build up the body. And according to the verse in or the chapter of Psalm 133, when we are united, that is where he commands his blessing. We want that blessing. So let's push and make every effort towards unity. Let's represent our Father well, our, our, our God well. Let's come with an earnestness and an eagerness to build up the body and a readiness to display to the world how God can unite these different people so that they can see, I can be part of that too. Yes, yes you can. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your church, that you established this church. We thank you, God, that when we come together, there is such power. It's not just a bunch of individuals coming together, but by your spirit, you unite us in the spirit. And Lord, I pray for anyone here, God, who, who maybe is thinking about, oh yeah, I, I have an issue with this other believer. Lord, I pray that by your wisdom and maybe through the gifts of others here, you would help guide them to make that right. Lord, I pray that we would pursue pursue unity and we would see your blessing come. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for Calvary. Thank you for the unity that already exists here. And we just pray for more. Lord, send your spirit as we're, as we're united. Use us to be a witness to the world that your blessing would come, that your spirit would be poured out, that your gifts would be manifested. Thank you for your church. In Jesus' name, amen.